Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep culture and history alive at the local level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Rebecca Nolan. Rebecca graduated from the Department of Folklore in May 2017 and has been doing radio for two years and has held radio internships with both NPR in the United States and CBC Radio here in St. John's. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. I am I am so excited about this episode because it is completely different. You've you've professionalized us up. It's, uh, <laughs> it's so much different than what we've done before. So uh, I want you to give a little bit of an introduction to, to what we're going to be listening to. Okay. So this is the story of the Hazel Pearl, which is the shipwreck out in... Champneys West. Champneys West, yeah. Yeah. I was forgetting the bay. It was Bonavista or Trinity. I messed that up. Yeah, Trinity Bay. Trinity Uh, Bay. Yeah, absolutely. And it went down, and there are these amazing people who you guys went and interviewed about what it was like when it went down. And it's this beautiful collective memory of that this community shares of the shipwreck. Yeah, and we've done a lot of interviewing over the years, but uh, quite often what happens with our recorded material is that it ends up in the digital archives here at Memorial University. And then it kind of sits there, you know, and, and we know sometimes people use it for, for research, but you've done something kind of special and nice, which is lovely, and taken all these bits of, um, bits of recorded interviews and some of the text that we had from our, our Story of the Spar booklet, and you've crafted them together into a lovely, lovely story. How did you get started in this kind of work? Um, well, this is the first time I've ever done this. This is the first time that it wasn't my hands on the recorder going and getting the sound, which was a really good learning experience for me Yeah, because it's completely different. I kind of had to go in blind to kind of see what questions someone else would ask. And that was really interesting. Yeah. This work of, of editing things together, you've been doing that for a while. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get started? How did you get started with, how did you get started in radio? Well, it actually started at, in a folklore course with Jillian Gould, and she brought in Miss Annie McEwen, yep. who was um, protege of Chris Brooks, and she was talking about how um, radio was a lot like ethnography, and you just didn't have to write it down. It could be this living, artistic thing, and it kind of just like the spirit went in me. And I'm like, this is the best thing in the world. I only want to do this for the rest <laughs> of my life. So you had never done it before? No. And Okay, so then how, so how did you get the, the job with NPR? I When I f- learned that, that I loved it, um, I looked at, they have this amazing program called the Zowski Internship. Yeah. And it takes people who don't have journalism degrees. That's, and that's with CBC, right? Yeah, yeah. with CBC. Yeah. And it basically turns them into journalists. And I thought, how can I do this? And I found my local NPR station back home. And I wrote them a little letter saying, hi, I'm a folklore student. I love interviewing. These are some of the things I'm interested in. Could I be a volunteer? And they said, send us a pitch. And they were having this huge issue with homelessness and the floods at the time. And so I sent them this pitch. And they're like, yes, you are chosen. You can be one of our <laughs> our volunteers. And so then I went and I did this huge um, death, not death knocker, sorry, documentary on um, a local folk um, festival that they have. And that was my introduction into documentary radio. Right. And I fell in love. And you've, since then, you've been doing some uh, some episodes for, for shows as well. You did one on, on ghost stories that yeah. we, we had a chat about. and Yeah, yeah that's a, a travel podcast, Journeys of Discovery, that I get to submit to. So I did one with you about um, the haunted hike, which was amazing. It was a really great it chat. It was fun, yeah. It was, it was fun. so much fun. Yeah. And then I did one on the Belle Island Mine Closure, um, which has actually been getting some traction lately, which I'm proud of. And then I just finished a really big one on the moratorium to introduce Californians, which is where I'm from, to this huge concept of Newfoundland and the moratorium. Yeah. So you did this work, and then you ended up getting the Zosky internship. Congratulations. Yeah. I, that, how was that? 
that was it was a huge learning curve. It's, it was really showing you what you didn't know about news and didn't know about radio. But I learned some amazing things. They flew me out to Toronto. I got like hands on experience in CBC. And um, then I spent the whole summer just kind of being backfill and being um, part of the news team and the current events team. Great. Yeah, that's very cool. So, so this piece, um, you, you took these archival, ar- archival uh, clips and, and put them all together. It, it, talk a little bit about your aesthetic. Like, what, what do you look for when you're, when you're kind of piecing things together or, or crafting a story? Um, for this one, it was kind of easy because I kind of followed the flow of the pamphlet because it was just set up so well. But um, in terms of clips, you're looking for A, clarity, which can be kind of hard because when they're collecting for the archive, they're not thinking about putting it on broadcast. And so some things had to be cleaned up. And I noticed there were things in the background like rocking chairs and ticks (laughs) and stuff that I wouldn't have put in. But I think really added to the experience because it was like sitting down with a grandpa and hearing a story. There's a great moment in in the piece that you're going to hear now where one of the Hiscock uh, brothers is telling a story. And you can hear this creak, creak, (laughs) creak because we had started interviewing him and we didn't realize he was in a rocking chair it was, it was one of these kind of uh, rocker gliders and he was he was very still when we started and we and then we got into it and the more relaxed he got in the interview the harder he would rock <laughs> his rocking chair so, you, so listen that's the little the, in, the little inside uh, scoop there on, on this that little creaking noise that you'll hear in this I interview. love that I love that part of it because like <laughs> because I got the audio and wasn't there like I don't have that part yeah so I love that little tidbit very good. Um, so what's next for you? Do you, you want to keep doing radio stuff? Yeah, for the rest of my life. I love it. <laughs> That's um, excellent. Yeah. So I'm just doing little pieces here and there. Yeah. I want to stay in Newfoundland and tell these stories or help tell these stories. And you might be doing another piece with us at some point yeah. on, on, a, on a little walkabout we did in, in Georgetown. Yeah. I learned all about Georgetown. I feel like I a learned. Expert. I live in Georgetown and I learned all about Georgetown. So we have that to look forward to. That's in the, that's in the future at some point. Yeah. Teaser. Great. Uh, okay. Well, is there anything else we need to say to set up this piece? I don't think so. I think we're all good. Okay, here's the story of the Hazel Pearl. Shipwrecks are all about storytelling. They're stories of mistakes, of pride, and of danger. And long after the actual bones of the ship have rotted away, the story remains. A ghost. A memory that fits into the space where the ship used to be. If you visit the Heritage House in Champneys West, you'll come across a curious thing. It's unassuming to the untrained eye, just a large piece of rotting wood with some metal pieces sticking out of it. If you're like me, and don't know anything about boats, then it really doesn't mean much. But to the people who grew up in this community, it has a name and a story. And so what is a spar? Can you explain what a spar is? Well, that's the mass. You know, after you pull your sails up, the sails, and they're they're sailing boats, and that was a schooner. She had sails, and that's the way she got a boat. It's known locally as the spar, and it's the centerpiece for a lot of local stories and memories in Champneys West. But the sails, they had the sails out, fully sailed, with sails. But how did it get there? And what makes it so important? This particular spar used to belong to the schooner Hazel Pearl, 
a fishing boat that sank in Chapnese West Harbor about 70 years ago. Some of the older members of the community have vivid memories of the wreck, and just looking at the spar brings them all flooding back. We saw the Hazel Pearl come in around under full sail. They looked beautiful when they were all sailed. So we came in straight in and saw us. We were out on those. He said there's a wreck coming there. And I didn't know what he meant by a wreck. And I don't know why he didn't see us off there. He, he must have seen us. And he should have realized that the ice in the harbor in the wintertime, February, was, was, you know, pretty hard. But he kept the sail up. He never pulled the sail down. We had perhaps 100, 150 feet from the hard ice. She's going to come in and hit that ice. Bounced off. I put a little hole in, in back from her steam. I heard like so, huh? She went down there. It must have been about 15 pounds of water. It was not necessary for her to sink. Her spires were standing up, up, out there, standing up straight for years and years and years and years. The story of the Hazel Pearl begins back in 1887 in a shipyard in Devon, England. She was a sturdy vessel made from oak and iron, built to withstand the unforgiving waters of the North Atlantic. The schooner was originally christened the Cornet and was eventually bought by a fishing company from the Faroe Islands. The Cornet set sail every spring for the fishing grounds off the coast of Greenland, where she would spend her summers catching cod and returning home every fall. And so it went until September 1935. After a successful summer, the crew pulled up their nets and sailed for home. What they didn't know was they were sailing straight into a storm. The storm overtook the cornet a few days into her voyage home. The combination of high winds and harsh waves tore the wheelhouse from the boat, pulling all the navigation and shelter into the sea. Another heavy wave took her lifeboats, and another her masts and sails. The crew huddled together on the deck, as their ship slowly filled with water. With no way to steer or call for help, the crew feared they would never see home again. But when the water calmed and the clouds cleared, the crew spotted a lighthouse in the distance. It was the Cabot Island Lighthouse. They were drifting just off the coast of Newfoundland but the lighthouse was too far away to hear their cries for help. And so the broken ship and her crew continued to float helpless for days. On September 20th, two fishermen, George and Henry Nee, decided that the seas were calm enough to go fishing. And so they headed to the fishing grounds near Flowers Island. Shortly after arriving on the grounds, they caught sight of the cornet. 
The schooner was low in the water, and it was obviously in trouble. And so the men approached. As they got closer, they realized there was another problem. A language barrier. The crew of the cornet were Danish sailors and didn't understand English. And so they had to get creative. Using exaggerated gestures and body language, the crew managed to communicate the danger of their situation. A rope was thrown from the cornet and George and Henry slowly towed her into port in Valley Field. After some repairs, the cornet and her crew were towed to St. John's. The plan was to have the schooner refitted and eventually return to the Faroe Islands. But for one reason or another, that never happened. Instead, her crew returned home, and the ship remained in St. John's. The cornet was eventually bought by Crosby and Company and placed under the command of Captain Abram Windsor. Windsor renamed the ship Hazel Pearl after his two daughters. The newly christened schooner had one more mishap before it eventually sank for good. In the spring of 1944, the Hazel Pearl was part of a team of sailing vessels that got stuck in the ice off Cape Bonavista. Roy Hiscock from Champneys West told Dale Jarvis about it back in 2016. And he got stuck in the ice off Cape Bonavista. And I don't know how long he was stuck in the ice, but quite some time, I think. Anyway, the crew, I suppose it was more or less mutiny than anything. They left and Walked ashore at Cape Bonavista. The crews of the two vessels, there was two of them, Norwegian vessels. And, and uh, he walked ashore and left the vessels. And uh, Mifflin's went out after and salvaged the Hazel Pearl. Samuel Mifflin was a merchant from Catalina. He ended up buying the Hazel Pearl from the wreck commissioner after helping to salvage her from the ice. Mifflin planned to use his new ship to bring some equipment to St. John's. This, as it would turn out, would be the last trip the Hazel Pearl would ever make. You're listening to Living Heritage, a podcast produced by the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador in partnership with CHMR Radio at Memorial University. Today, we're revisiting the story of the Hazel Pearl, a ship that was wrecked in Trinity Bay in 1945. Stay tuned. The Hazel Pearl made her final voyage on February 28, 1945. She set sail in the afternoon bound for St. John's Harbor, but she would never get there. A storm started brewing off the coast, and so skipper Matthew Mason quickly turned the Hazel Pearl towards Champneys Harbor. She was at full sail, rushing to beat the storm. Mason knew that being caught in the North Atlantic during a storm could be deadly. What he didn't know was that the ice had recently shifted 
pushing it into the harbor. This spelled certain doom for the Hazel Pearl. Sarah Hiscock from Champneys West was 12 years old when the Hazel Pearl sank. Her father had left that morning to haul a load of wood. Sarah could tell that a storm was brewing offshore, and so she ran up the hill to help him bring in the wood before the storm hit. And just as we got right here, Dad looked out on the water. He had the horses like with a load of wood on. And this is what he said to me. He said, there, he said, see that boat coming in there? And he said, do you want me there? He said, there's a wreck coming there. And I didn't know what he meant by a wreck. And he said, she's going to come in and hit that ice now, he said. And he said, this part of the ice was lived. Enough that you could come over to Japanese West. Just outside the Japanese East. And... Uh, by the time we got down to to Dad's house down here, that's close to the water, that the boat was in and hit us quick as that. There was just this distance. But she wasn't very long and she was gone to the bottom. People from Champneys West rushed out to meet the Hazel Pearl, trying to save the schooner and her contents. The ice was thick that time of year and the harbor had already frozen over. Ben and Roy Hiscock were both working on the ice that day. We were all up on the harbor race down there, and the wind went southern, come southern and start to snow. We saw the Hazel Pearl come in around, come in there and he, under full sail, fully rigged. But Captain Brown was the captain on her, and he was coming in here for years, and he should have realized that the ice in the harbor in the wintertime, February, was, was you know, pretty hard. And I don't know why he didn't see us off there. He, he must have seen us. I don't know. But he kept the sail up. He never pulled the sail down until he got within perhaps 100, 150 feet from the hard ice. So we came in straight in and he saw us. We were out on there. He's standing up there watching her come in. And, and, and of course, when she went into the ice so far, she bounced off. I put a little hole in, in the Back from her steam, a bird like so, huh? She come on in and she hit the hard ice and he hold her up, hold her up toward, and the water start pouring in. Eh? He wouldn't let us go aboard and, and, and for a long time, because only two and a half hours since she was gone down. But we could she there was not necessary for her to sink. That was about in the afternoon, early afternoon, or mid afternoon perhaps. But she didn't sink until about one or two o'clock the next morning before she sank. The hazel pearl was full of fish and over a hundred barrels of cod liver oil. We used to call it cod oil. Cod oil. Right. Yeah, not cod liver oil. Cod oil. Now, yeah, we used to put in casts to see 45 gallons of water. This was precious cargo that the fishermen of Chapneys West refused to let sink to the bottom of the sea. And so, because the captain of the hazel pearl refused to be towed, the men began unloading the barrels of cod liver oil themselves. Eventually, we took it upon ourselves and went aboard and hoisted off 113 barrels of oil and hoisting motor, new motor, and different things. And there was some miscellaneous stuff that there was no account for, you know, because the wreck commissioner would claim it if he knew it, it was taken out of it. But there was a bit of stuff sneaked. But not all of the oil was pulled off the schooner in time. 
Albert Hiscock, another Champneys West resident, remembers how the oil continued to leak out from the wreck years later, leaving an oily stain on the water. Uh, like for years, what was in our hole there, the, the oil, was, when the barrels rusted, was leaking out and there was always a little calm spot. For years, eh? Mm -hmm. so the, all the barrels got rusted out and all the oil leaked out of them. The Hazel Pearl sank very quickly. But how quickly depends on who you ask. Some people claim that it disappeared in under 15 minutes, while others insist it took hours. But everyone agrees that the next morning, all that could be seen of the Hazel Pearl were her white spires. Beautiful and just out of reach, trapped 15 fathoms beneath the surface. We came the next summer to try to raise her. Mifflin owned her. That's how old that one. They came the next summer with the couple of ships, the hood I think one was, to try to raise her up, but they uh, stir up the mud, but they couldn't bridge, they couldn't raise her. Mifflin worked all summer to try and refloat the Hazel Pearl, but it was all in vain. And at the end of the summer, the schooner was declared lost at sea. For years, locals in Champneys West could see the spires under the water, white ghostly fingers reaching towards the sky. She went down there, it must have been about 15 fathoms of water. You could, uh, you could look more uh, the boat, you know, and you could look down and see her mass heads. That's the tops of her spires, that was, you know, that's kind of white. For years, and then they, they dropped off. Eventually, the Hazel Pearl decayed and drifted to the bottom of the harbor. The white spires disappeared, and it seemed like the memory of the wreck would vanish with them. Until one day, local fisherman Wayne Freeman decided to clean his capelin net. Well, that's uh, Wayne pulled up with the seine. He put it out there to clean it, yeah. He got hooked up, and I guess he had quite a time to get it. Got the old spire up. Public folklorist Tara Barrett Talked with Wayne on the phone about that day. Well, we were we were cleaning our scene of our scenes our, for our capelin scene with the long one there, and uh, we shut shut no shut it out there, and the tide drifted it down, and it sort of hooked up in the spar, I guess. We thought we were a long way slow of it, but uh, so when we went to pull the scene back aboard, we couldn't get it aboard until we, we had to pull really hard, and all of a sudden something snapped. So when we got that pulled up, it came to the surface. We didn't know what it was. <laughs> it didn't look like a pole. <laughs> but, uh, so we, we hauled into the wharf, and uh, when, when we looked at it, there we see a piece of cable sticking up, and so I realized it must have, been a, must have been a mass or something. So we told it and put it into the slipway until I didn't clean enough. And then we realized it was a mass of the hazel pearl, so hazel pearl. And uh, we contacted the university then. Heritage specialists from Memorial University of Newfoundland analyze the spar. And because of its size and various metal fixtures, they decided that it was most likely one of the mastheads from the Hazel Pearl. Then came the problem of what to do with it. The university came up, they done a sample, and they told us that it was, it was, a story, it was actually a historic artifact and that they even said it may have been, might have been returned. But that just didn't seem right. 
even though it was just an old piece of wood. The spar and the story that it represented was important. It held memories and tales of times gone by. And it seemed a shame to let all of that disappear. So we actually were told them that we were actually a museum, a heritage house, and that we actually was trying to acquire some information on the Hazel Pearl, and if, if it was okay with them, that we would put it on display. So when, when they realized there, we hired a big uh, excavator came down and strapped it all up and brought it up the road, basically. And uh, saw it where it stood right now, right? They decided to put the spar outside of the Ella Freeman Heritage House so that everyone in Chapneys West could see it. And so the memory of the Hazel Pearl could live on. Objects only have the meaning that we give to them through stories, memories, and experiences. And through the power of stories that we keep the past alive and bond together as a community. The memory of the Hazel Pearl, her wreck and attempted rescue, lives on in Champneys West, almost a hundred years after the actual ship slipped beneath the waves. This is in large part due to the spar and its special place in the community, that these stories live on. This episode of Living Heritage was adapted from the second pamphlet in the Collective Memories series. The pamphlet was originally titled The Story of the Spar, an Oral History of the Hazel Pearl, and featured interviews by Dale Jarvis and Tara Barrett. If you want to check out the original pamphlet, or hear some of the interviews in their entirety, you can visit www.collectivememories.ca. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.